Yeah, and I've just you know read again what did we write on the on the internet on the blurb. It's called Dhamma, the Supreme Medicine, finding healing in the midst of great challenges is the alchemy that arises from turning towards difficulties. The world gives us endless opportunities, while the Dhamma is a timeless medicine that transforms us. So that's kind of the working theme. And, you know, for me in particular with the Earth Room, you know, one of the questions, you know, which I find most pertinent at this time is, you know, how are we going to meet the fact that, you know, this planet on which we live is uh, approaching carrying maximum carrying capacity, you know, and it looks like the way how we are living is just not sustainable. And I think more and more people start to kind of get a feeling that this is really true and all of the kind of responses, emotional responses, which kick in, you know, first is probably numbness and, and kind of disbelief. But then if we can stay with that, you know, and slowly allow it to sink in, probably transforms into some kind of anxiety and, and maybe anger and, and all other, you know, kind of difficult emotions which we really need to fully meet if we want to set free that energy which is needed in order to kind of, uh, you know, make make a connection with our particular response, you know, which is the right response for us. And, uh, you know, these deep changes which we, if we want to stay on this planet as a species, we have to undergo very deep changes in the ways we are relating to what's happening. And uh, because, you know, what we need to do is we need to do some very uh, kind of big um, adjustments, you know, on a material level as well as on a, on a mental level, you know, which have a lot to do, which are dictated basically by the limits of, of the biosphere on this on this planet. And that's just part of what it is to be a human being at this time. And, you know, when, when the scriptures were written down, you know, like about 500 years after the Buddha's passing away, so like 500 years after the Buddha's passing away was about the, you know, the beginning of of the christian uh way of of the calendar you know that at that time there was no no such things you know on the horizon for for most people the scriptures they do speak about you know those cycles of of like arising world systems and then world systems ceasing again and arising a new but people hadn't really touched that in in, in their direct experience but i think we are in the position now that we get just kind of a whiff of that, that this might be really true. And uh, and that's also why I call the place which I'm now uh, developing in San Rafael, that's why I call it the Aloka Earth Room. Aloka means clarity. And, you know, to have to gain some, or I'm not gaining, to cultivate clarity around those questions, you know, that how how ecology and, you know, looking after one's living space is just like part of the deal of being a human being. We are just not here, you know, like little children who are kind of just benefiting from a big mother and have no responsibilities towards her. That just is not the case and never has been the case. But now it becomes just very obvious. And I have looked up, you know, the word ecology, the definition of it is a branch of biology that deals with the relations of organisms to one another and to their physical surroundings. And oikos, that's the root of the word eco means house in Greek. So you're not taking an interest in 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 one's house, basically. 
and and really understanding that we are not separate from that house, but that we are like in constant exchange with it. And that we are not really private entities, you know, which are separate, but we are we are like the apples on, on a tree. I've heard that yesterday somebody said that, you know, we are the apples and, and the planet is the tree. And if we fall, you know, from the from the branch, then we go back into the earth and, and be integrated again into that tree. And we have never been living in a different way. We just weren't aware of that fact. And that, you know, that uh, concept of not-self, anatta, which is, you know, the central insight in the Buddhist teaching or emptiness, it's called in the later schools of Buddhism, that encapsulates all of that already, you know, in Iron Age India, basically, the Buddha spoke about that. And that was the, you know, the new uh, insight the Buddha brought when he started to teach after his enlightenment. So, you know, so the teaching is around for a very long time, but still, you know, we are now in this, this extreme corner, um, you know, in terms of we have developed systems of living on this planet, which are not sustainable. And, and it feels like, you know, that there be a long way of that there is enough uh, interest and and enough skill, you know, for us to turn it around. Because we, we might have the technological uh, know-how, but we but what it is about, you know, the relationships, how we can organize ourselves, how we can work together, how we can make decisions together and implement what needs to be implemented. That's the difficult bit and always has been, you know. The, the human element is the difficult peace and uh, so the question is you know how can we use this teaching of the buddha so that we can become part of the solution that we can uh, you know become you know the immune system of the earth how it's sometimes called you know that those of us who can uh, hear the need and who are willing to really kind of uh, train themselves so that they can uh, be more open towards that which needs to come through some of us and as many as possible if we want to stay around you know but it said it, it is less than 10 percent of of the um of 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 people in a system need to understand that need and then it would from there it would penetrate you know into the mainstream and in order, you know, to understand those things, we don't need to necessarily learn more, but it's more, you know, we need to remove all of that which stands in the way so that we can connect with that wisdom and compassion, which we can uh, connect with if we sensitize our hearts and our minds in a way so that they can perceive that, you know, which is emerging as we go along. And and, and the, according to my understanding, you know, the Buddha's teaching is basically a toolbox which gives us different tools in order to train our hearts and our minds so that all of that which stands in the way is shaved off as we go along. And, uh, <clears throat> You know, the main tools are the, the four establishments of mindfulness, the four Satipatthana and the four Brahmaviharas, the, the four divine abidings. So those two sets of fours, you know, are there for us to help us to, to train our hearts and our minds. The four Satipatthana more in the sense of, you know, training the mind so that the mind is capable of insight into the three characteristics, impermanence, uh, unsatisfactoriness, and not self or emptiness, and, and the four Brahmavi, this more the cool practices we can say, and the four Brahmaviharas, the warm practices which are geared more towards opening the mind really wide and embracing and giving space to what is here. And those two sides, you know, of the practice, they work together. 
and uh, you know they are enabling the mind and the heart increasingly to have real intimate relationship with with experience and not kind of just projecting our stories on top of it but having the capacity to really open open to what's happening and open to emergence really knowing you know that there is no going back to normal how it was before or anything like that because it doesn't really exist but you know there's a constant uh, flow happening a constant um it's a process and and you know the less grasping we apply in the midst of this process the less uh, suffering there will be and the more grasping there is the more friction there is the more suffering and uh, so this constant change it can be experienced either as samsara or as nirvana depending on how we relate to it and so you know we can't do anything about that constant change that's not the point but it's it's more the point is how do we relate to it and the whole buddhist teaching is all about that it's all about learning how to relate to it in a way which uh you know takes out the ego basically learning to relate to all of this from from a complete from no standpoint really and uh and honing the capacity for intimacy to really be really in contact with our experience and and that which is in the way allowing that you know to be felt and that can feel very uncomfortable and frightening and scary and allowing that to be the teacher really and uh So that intimacy with our experience, allowing that to be a teacher for how to be in the world. And what, you know, what comes to mind the most is then that uncertainty, because we never know what's going to emerge. And for example, Achan Cha, one of the forest masters of Thailand of the, you know, last century, he always spoke about that means in Thai, not sure, not sure. You know, we don't know. Also with, with the whole uh, ecological crisis, we don't really know what's going to happen. Nobody knows. So if we kind of try to nail it all down and say, you know, we have lost the plot, it's all going to be completely terrible. We're all going to perish from the planet. That's Nobody knows if that's really true. But to say, you know, that it, we don't need to do anything about it, that's also not true. But what can be done is, you know, we can really work with our minds and sensitize our minds to have more capacity to really relate to what's happening and then see what emerges from that. That's the only thing we can do that does, is there's no certainty in that. But that's exactly, you know, what we need to learn to be able to live a life even there is no certainty. And uh, that's, you know, the hallmark of the teaching is to be able to do that. And then when the anxiety and the fear and all of those things come up, to do that work of, you know, feeling it just as it is. And that is the polishing uh instrument you know the the feeling of it as it is and not defending against it that brings increasing clarity and strength into the process and one way you know how that can be expressed in the teaching is is through the seven factors of awakening the seven bochanga you know who are like one way how we can describe what is cultivated in the mind through meditation and they are the Sati, mindfulness, Tamavichaya, interest, uh, energy, virya, pity, joy, or contentment, 
Pasadi Calm, Samadhi Collectedness of Focus, and Upeka, uh, which is uh, Equipoise. So those seven factors of awakening, you know, they need to be polished, they need to be developed, they need to be trained with these different tools, you know, in the, with the four Satipatthana and the four Brahma Viharas and all the other tools which are there. And then things are starting to fall away. And when things are starting to fall away, then there's more and more capacity to have, to stay really in relationship with our experience. And from that being in, in real relationship, then, you know, the ways how to go forward will emerge from that. And uh, so that's the plan, you know, for this, um, for this series of, of, of uh, talks with Ayananda Bodhi and I will give over the next months to come and and it's all based you know on on certain agreements you know that practice with for example the what's called the five precepts and uh, and also if if people are so inclined you know the three refuges so they are like basically the the launching pad you know for that undertaking of training the mind because they give like a certain you know, template from which to start to engage in this work because all of the strong emotions, you know, which can be kicked up, it's very good, you know, to have have a framework to bump against. So we know, hey, you know, pay attention to this. So, you know, I've just I brought a, a short sutta today from the Samyutta Nikaya. And it's it's a very well-known sutta about, you know, how can we go about, you know, working together in, you know, in a time where probably a lot of emotions are going to be triggered. And, and I just really like that sutta very much. And it's, it's short. And it's called Sedaka. I think that's a that's a, a a town. And if you have never heard the suttas, you know, read so it's, it's a bit of an old language, but I think it's not difficult to understand. Sedaka. So this is in the chapter forty-seven in the Samyutta Nikaya, the connected sayings. On one occasion, the Blessed One was dwelling among the Sumbas, where there was a town of the Sumbas named Sedaka. There the Blessed One addressed the monastics thus. Monastics, once in the past, an acrobat set up his bamboo pole and addressed his apprentice thus. Come, dear apprentice, climb the bamboo pole and stand on my shoulders. Having replied, yes, teacher, the apprentice climbed up the bamboo pole and stood on the teacher's shoulders. The acrobat then said to the apprentice, you protect me, dear apprentice, and I protect you. Thus guarded by one another, protected by one another, we will display our skills, collect our fee and get down safely from the bamboo pole. When this was said, the apprentice replied, that's not the way to do it, teacher. You protect yourself, teacher, and I protect myself. Thus, each self-guarded and self-protected, we will display our skills, collect our fee, and get down safely from the bamboo bowl. That's the method there, the Blessed One said. It's just as the apprentice said to the teacher. I will protect myself, monastics, thus should the establishments of mindfulness be practiced. That's the Satipatthanas. I will protect others, monastics, thus should the establishments of mindfulness be practiced. Protecting oneself, monastics, one protects others. Protecting others, one protects oneself. And how is it, uh, monastics, that by protecting oneself, one protects others? by the pursuit, development, and cultivation of the four establishments of mindfulness. 
It is in such a way that by protecting oneself, one protects others. And how is it, monastics, that by protecting others, one protects oneself? By patience, harmlessness, loving kindness and sympathy. That's the four, that's the Brahma Viharas. It is in such a way that by protecting others, one protects oneself. I will protect myself, monastics. Thus should the establishments of mindfulness be practiced. I will protect others, monastics. Thus should the establishment of mindfulness be practiced. Protecting oneself, one protects others. Protecting others, one protects oneself. So I think that's a very kind of powerful uh, and clear teaching, you know, that if we really understand, you know, how we are, how we think internally and and live from that place, we protect ourselves. And in that sense, we are also, you know, safe for others. And that's also, for example, you know, that's why the five precepts are considered to be, you know, giving the gift of fearlessness to the world. It's a great, you know, we are protecting ourselves to not, you know, do unwhole, unskillful action by body, speech, and mind as good as we can. And in that way, we also protect others. And I think that's a, you know, a very um, integrated way of, of seeing one's practice. It's not, it's never only just for ourselves, you know, it's always in deep, interconnection with everything around us because we are no separate beings we are basically you know our bodies are sacred land or our bodies are not private land you know but we are in constant exchange like apples on an apple tree and and i think if we learn you know that our mind can can get more intimate and more connected with that way of seeing and experiencing ourselves that this will uh, be the method, you know, how we can link into emergence, you know, into that which wants to come through, you know, out of emptiness or out of Prajnaparamita Kunin, God, Dhammakaya, emptiness, silence, however we want to call it, it doesn't really matter. But that which is emerging, you know, that which wants to come through because there's so many things dying right now. And, you know, and we can't really kind of pull on, on the emptiness to give us her secrets, but but we can clean, if you want to say clean, maybe it's a bit too dualistic, but we can make space, you know, we can open ourselves. That's We can get ready, we can prepare for that. We can put down luggage, we can, uh, you know, align ourselves more and more. And, and also through prayer and through aspiration, intention, we can... There's a lot of um, you know, there's a lot of um, power we have in order to align ourselves or not. And and it's it's not, you know, it's not a linear process. And it I think it needs uh, what is very important is is to have to do that together with others you know, who have, who have a similar kind of mind and who have the similar intentions and to meet on a regular basis and to discuss, you know, what comes up and, and to have that um, support, you know, because otherwise one can feel pretty uh, isolated sometimes about all of this. And... You know, and, and I hope that with this series, we can provide a little bit of that. And once the Aloka Earthroom opens its doors sometimes in the spring, I'd like to really focus on that, you know, to, to develop a, 
a healing space, you know, where that can be in the center of the of the space and where the space itself expresses that intention. And uh yeah, because what else is there to do? Because it's all uncertain, you know. And if we're just going to despair and think it's all not working out, that's just like another fixation, you know, which can't be for a moment a relief, you know, because at least we know it's not working. But we nobody can ever know what's going to happen even in one minute. And that's that's really good to remember that. And not to be too sure, you know, about anything other than the, maybe the five precepts, you know. They they are a cosmic law, I think, you know. We can be certain that they are very sober and, and, and good guidelines, but most everything else we don't know. So maybe you can take some time, you know, for a guided meditation now. And just find a, uh, a posture you can sustain for like 30 minutes. And you're just, you know, connecting with uh, the mind and just looking where are you right now. And then the emotions. In the heart area, maybe. And then coming to the body as it's sitting and breathing in and breathing out. Just, yeah, we are in very special time right now of great transition where, you know, certain systems are clearly, you know, hitting the limits of what they can accommodate. And then that's, it's time for, for big changes. And then there's often, you know, starts, there's a crisis. Things go into some amount of chaos before they can reshuffle themselves. And if you don't know what to do, then it's always good to slow down. Times are urgent, we need to slow down. And just simply, you know, taking in the stress level right now for you between one and 10, what is there? Just letting that emerge. And just giving it the space it needs. There's nothing wrong about that this is just what it is
And then, you know, with the in-breath, really allowing the experience to really come close to whatever it is. And with the out-breath, just relaxing into the spaciousness of this room. You know, which doesn't end at the walls of this room, but the spaciousness, the silence is limitless. Times are urgent. We need to slow down. And you're just becoming aware maybe of the hardness of the chair, the earth element, you know, which is uh, also in our bone structure, teeth, fingernails, and the whole planet on which, you know, this city is uh, rooted on. And the soil underneath this building, you know, which is consists of many, many beings who have died, plant beings and animal beings and human beings, and they are forming this layer of soil, which is also you know, producing food and other plants. So we are, you know, intimately entangled with all of this. And constantly in process. So, you know, our situation now is it's just part of nature also. It's not like that we are imposing something onto nature, but we are nature and this is what's happening. How can we learn to relate to this in a more responsible and intimate way? That is the question. And how can we also carry those ancient wisdom teachings into this space right now? Because they need some, they need to be infused with different parlance, different verbiage, in order to be able to really cut it, what's happening right now on a conventional level. Because a lot of the Buddhist teaching is stuck deeply in patriarchy. 
And that's really weakens it, actually. So with the in-breath and really allowing the confusion, the not knowing, the uncertainty, the mess, all of it, letting it just be there. And with the out-breath, just letting go into the um, spaciousness and the silence. And then just, you know, letting, maybe letting go of the body and and becoming aware more of the silence and the spaciousness, which doesn't end at the walls of this room. And, you know, listening into the silence, listening into the space, which means, you know, opening the mind. And whenever the mind wants to contract around a thought, a story, a concept, just gently bring it back to the spaciousness and the silence and for now not allowing that contraction to stay and I rather noticing you know the need of the mind to land somewhere And weaning it off that need, which is comes from fear. And then you're listening into the silence, which is behind the sound of the hitting, which is, you know, the silence out of which all sounds emerge. So this uh, unlimited space, immeasurable space. And then, you know, letting go of the spaciousness and of the silence and turning towards that which knows the space and the silence. So it's like making a U-turn and conscious awareness, being aware of that which knows about the silence, which knows about the space. And not, you know, now going into thinking, just allowing the mind to respond 
And in the beginning, you know, if the mind hasn't been coaxed in that way, it might just be very confused. Let it be confused. It's okay. It's a training. So becoming aware of that which knows about the spaciousness and the silence, the conscious awareness, or in the Thai forest tradition is called Puru, or in the Sokchen tradition is called Rikpa. And if the you know, it's left some notion of ego behind it, dropping that as well. It's just being that knowing. And it's not a thing, but that is being the knowing. It's not a frozen state. It's a it's being, being the knowing or conscious awareness. It's like a mirror which reflects what's going on, the hearing of the traffic and the heating, the pressure of the body on the seat, the wetness of the mouth, the breathing. It's all effortless known like a mirror reflecting what comes before it. There's nothing which needs to be done, but that can be made conscious. That which cannot be named in the end. There's no need, but there's, you know, different fingers pointing at the moon and not getting stuck on those, but they all have a limited shelf life. Until they've done the job, they can just be discarded. So that's the refuge of Buddha, which we have been reciting in the beginning. That awareness, conscious awareness. Which we can forget, but when we remember it, it's already there. And then, you know, noticing the subtle joy which comes with that resting as awareness, sense of contentment. And that's important to pay attention to that subtle joy. And it's an acquired taste which the mind needs to be shown. So it can find its way back quite easily. And, you know, and abiding in that conscious awareness, that is really one way how the mind can be sensitized and trained to abide in that subtle mode of being So that's, for example, is a very good example of completely, you know, losing oneself in oneself, you know, in the in the thoughts and in the feelings, 
which is totally age appropriate. And then, you know, through the training, we can become the witness of that. Even when it happens in ourselves, you know, that we throw a tantrum, but we don't necessarily need to blurt it out if we have trained ourselves. Then if we can manage that, you know, the resilience will be trained, will become stronger. And then, you know, for the remainder of the meditation, we just can come back, you know, to the body and becoming aware of the breathing, of the impermanence of the, the breathing process. And even a, you know, very subtle meditation can come to an end. It's just, you know, an impermanent state. And even there was maybe a temporary a temporary uh, calming of the hindrances, but sometimes they're called temporary liberation of the mind. 
a sample, a taste of how it can be, you know, if the mind is permanently free from the hindrances, fully awakened. But even this, you know, temporary taste is very helpful because it gives us the confidence that we know we're going in the right direction with all of this. And the, you know, the confidence in impermanence also, that is just part of the picture. And we can trust it. And, you know, allow ourselves a full, complete contact with our experience because it is impermanent. That intimacy with our own experience, which is the way how we learn, how we develop wisdom and compassion and how we can um, lean into emergence. And using this ancient teaching, which comes from Iron Age India, but in its essence is timeless, but in its particular expressions and verbiage and rituals and other areas needs to be adjusted to now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.